0: you're listening to muslim girls fence reimagining care a series exploring community and self-care in light of structural racism and the inequalities we face in this series we interview participants and coaches from muslim girls fence academics activists and artists about their experiences over the past year and throughout all the lockdowns we find out what care means to them whether they feel cared for what some of the barriers are to accessing healthy spaces and what they imagine a future to look like where we are all looked after and centred. We hope to show that care and well-being is dependent on so much more than candles and bubble baths, although we know that helps. As Audre Lord said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation and an act of political warfare. In this episode, you hear from participants Serene and Jenny, Benson coach Nadira and Angelica lindsay Ellie, aka The Village Auntie. They explore how the pandemic has impacted the support available from pregnant women and the pressures that have been put onto women playing multiple roles at home of mother, employee, etc. We look at the marginalisation of the feminine and how to love ourselves in the midst of everything telling us not to.
1: My name is Zareen Ikwala. I am a mum, a wife, a daughter, Bobby. I'm every relation, mashallah. And um, I work part-time as a senior person assistant for a government organisation. With um, the fencing sessions, the virtual sessions have been amazing um, in the sense that I've still been able to sort of keep some sort of social interaction even if it is virtually um social inter- interaction with like the sisters you know friends um it's been really good and the fact that you know young children have been able to get involved as well it's been really good for my well-being in the sense that no matter how stressful a day i've had that the sessions doing the sessions virtually has been my me time Um, and you know, Alhamdulillah, like my husband has been so good with it. You know, he's been really, really supportive and he's like, no, that's fine. It's your time. Um, you know, it's just finding the balance of, you know, home and work life balance. So, um, you know, it was like working during the day, coming home, making sure dinner's done and, you know, making sure that everything's ready. So my husband and my son could eat whenever they wanted to, but then uh, they knew that for an hour in the evening, I wasn't to be um, disturbed. And I found it was, I found it so beneficial for my, um, you know, just for my well being able to just have a catch up with the girls, you know, five minutes before the session, you know, just having a quick, how, how are you and stuff like that. And um, I just found it really, really beneficial. At the beginning of the pandemic, I felt that because it was just something new to the nation, I felt nobody knew what was going on, or what wasn't. Finding out that I was pregnant as well has been like amazing for my husband and I, but I have felt that it's been unfair in the sense that I have to attend all my appointments by myself. Um, I can't have my husband with me, which has been, I felt like that has, like when I have an when I have an appointment, I get a lot of anxiety. knowing that I can't have my husband with me and God forbid something's wrong. Um, I love to let everything's okay, but I just feel like there's not enough support within sort of like maybe the NHS for pregnant women who, you know, I feel like some of the nurses, midwives that I've spoken to have been really, really nice and caring and, you know, making sure that we're being supported. But I feel there's not enough there in the sense that we can't have our partners with us. Um, which I have found really, really like I said, it just makes my anxiety, it gives me a lot of anxiety knowing that I have a hospital appointment and my husband can't be with me. He has to sit in a corridor or he has to sit in the car and wait. And I feel like being in the situation of, you know, being an expectant mother, I feel like there
2: needs to be more support out there for us. My name's Jenny. I'm part of the MSA group. I joined to do badminton um, about two and a half years ago. And so I really enjoy the activities that this group provides. Us women go through a lot. It never ends. Like my daughter says, you know, mum, why is it that if it's not one thing, it's another thing? All the way down to when you're old. <laughs> and these male species get away with everything. They don't have to go through anything. <laughs> you know so in that sense obviously we go through different stages in life so um you get to a point where you notice things about yourself you know like where at one point you might never put on weight you could eat as much chocolate as you like and you don't put nothing on there comes a time where you think oh dear you know I can see myself changing a bit <laughs> in terms of your weight so you try and sort of um maybe you know change your diet a little bit bit by bit um and I think most importantly it's just to be active it's not necessarily sort of say losing weight um because everybody's not going to be stick thin it's more about you keeping fit um and moving um and I think that does help a lot of people because if we all go I sometimes think you know if we're all going in there just thinking I need to lose weight um that's 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 hard work you know but if you go in there thinking I'm going to have a bit of fun and I'm going to enjoy um an activity then you know I think having that mindset is better
0: We're really excited to have Angelica Lindsay-Ali, also known as The Village Auntie, with us today. Um, Angelica, can you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do?
3: Sure. Uh, I'm an intimacy and relationships expert. I give women advice on how to have fulfilling and meaningful relationships with themselves, their partners and, and other relationships in the community. Um, My work sort of lies at the intersection of the sacred and the sacral. uh, And I infuse a lot about um, not only sexual health, but mental health and general well-being as well.
0: Amazing. So thinking about care and well-being, like what does being cared for mean? And what does caring for yourself mean? And how how do you show care to your community?
3: I think when, when you use the word care, the first thing that comes to my mind is safety not just physical safety, but also emotional and spiritual safety. It's any practice, any ritual, any activity that makes you feel safe and nurtured, whether that is coming from another person or whether that's coming from yourself. I think that um, self-care has been commodified in a way that it feels as if you have to have access to a certain amount of tangible resources in order to perform self-care. But self-care can be as simple as smiling at yourself in the mirror and, you know, saying a positive affirmation. Uh, It could be spending time, you know, with someone that you love. It could be, you know, grounding yourself in nature by getting outside for a walk. Um, caring for your community is is really around the same principles. How are we providing structures of safety and how are we dismantling those systems that take a sense of safety away from us? And what are ways that we can use sort of a decolonial approach to community care that's not um, dependent upon wealth? but it's really dependent upon a redistribution of human resources in the form of kindness, um, empathy, and equity. That, that's what comes to mind when you talk about care in that regard.
0: Mm. So you mentioned safe space um, and safe spaces. How, how do, and I know in a lot of your, in the work that you do, a lot of spaces are only for women. So how do we as women create and facilitate those spaces for each other
3: i think one of the ways that we do that is by being fiercely protective of those spaces first and foremost even in spaces that i have that are for women only you'll often find women invoking the name of a male teacher or a male scholar or talking about something that is from um a perspective that leans heavily on the male gaze. And I think one of the ways that we keep spaces safe is that we become comfortable with protecting a gender segregated space that is only for women. And that sounds easy, but it's actually quite hard because Mm -hmm. a lot of us have been programmed to believe that we need that validation and certification from a man in order for a space to be um, deemed good or appropriate. So I think that's one of the ways that we establish safety. The other way that we do it is we have to do a lot of self-examination. Every woman who is in the space, you have to make sure that you are ensuring not only the safety of yourself, the safety of your sisters because sometimes we can unintentionally and unconsciously offend when we are so protective of who we are and we're not protective of the way that other people choose to move throughout the world so there's a level of self-reflection that has to happen and acceptance of the other people who are occupying the space as well
0: thank you so thinking about um the male gaze which which you mentioned, like so many of us struggle with anxiety around body image. Um, And what are the causes of some of this for women, like in terms of the structural societal causes? And then how do we learn to love the body that we're in?
3: So I, I like to tell women that no one is beautiful everywhere in the world. There's no woman who's beautiful in every city, country, culture there are varying standards of beauty no matter where you go being tall is beautiful in one place it's unattractive in another being thin is beautiful in one place being you know full bodied is you know attractive in another i think that a lot of that comes from the male gaze and what we deem desirable and our approach to desire is not something that comes from within us it's something that we're taught we are A lot of times taught what we should desire, what we should think is pleasurable, what we should think is beautiful. One of the ways that we dismantle that is by doing a self-inventory and looking at what is it that we truly like in absence of what other people think. We want to know if our friends think that, you know, our partners are attractive. We want to know, you know, how how good we look, but we don't often do that self affirmation. So I think that's one of the ways that we break down and learn to love the bodies that we have um, is by making an inventory of the things that you like that don't necessarily require external validation. What do you like just because you like it? Uh, That's one of the ways that body positivity, I think, can work in a better way, because I think some of the body positivity movements we have out right now can be quite toxic uh, because they still enforce this norm and this Idea that you have to love everything about yourself. Inventory is not saying that I love everything about my body. It's saying that I accept my body and I love it for the way that it functions. But understanding that you know there are certain parts of my body that I enjoy more than the other, and that's okay.
0: So having that balance as well. Yes. Um. So thinking about like, um, you know, the structural societal um, impacts on this, and how how do you think we can train ourselves to become more confident in a way that feels natural to like to who we are and i say this because um you know being confident is seen as something quite external and assertive something we need to show to the world often like a really masculine trait so how do we internalize that confidence within the feminine and you know celebrate being radically feminine?
3: So I think it starts there. So so many women don't have an understanding of what it means to be feminine. If you ask them what femininity is, they can't really give you a definition that is completely rooted in a woman-centered perspective. It's always centered around what it means to be a good mother a good wife a good daughter it's always in relationship to someone else and not a relationship to the self so we first have to have a clear definition from our own perspective of what it means to be feminine and a lot of times in modern society that is rooted in softness it's rooted in being submissive and docile um, being someone who is led and not someone who can lead I think to be radically feminine means to lean into the softness and understand that there's an assertiveness there. Um, There's a reason why the phrase kill them with kindness works in in so many places, because you don't have to be overtly aggressive in order to be assertive and in order to be powerful. And I think women have access to a divine form of power Um, Inherent in the radically feminine that we don't necessarily access and we should, I don't think we take our power from emulating men, Um, we take it from being fully ourselves as women, so how can we become confident in that, I think one of the ways that we do that is through community. Um, affirmation is important um, when it is self-directed, but it is also important for us to get validation from other people and feel like we're not doing this alone. So developing strong relationships with women who are also seeking to operate from a radically feminine perspective, I found can be very helpful. And also looking to other women who we see may embody those characteristics and principles that we're looking to imbue ourselves with. Sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. And sometimes you have to look at what, what are other women doing um, that seems very empowered, very strong. And how can I adopt some of those same practices so that I can bring that into my own life?
0: Absolutely. Um, thinking about our own lives and you know working towards being our best selves, like we often feel really low or unworthy. Um, what do you think we need to unlearn and learn to like nurture contentment in who we are and being true
3: to that. So as a Muslim, I think this is one of the ways in which the cultural teachings of Islam have done us a disservice, especially as women. We have been made to feel as if we have to do or be something to be worthy of Allah's love. We're told that if we do certain things, the angels will curse us until morning. We're told that we're not complete as a woman until we are a wife and a mother. And none of those things are true. The reality is that, you know, our creator, Allah, is the one who bestows attributes upon us, who gives us form and who gives us value. So our worth comes simply from us being a part of Allah's creation. Because we are created, that's where the worthiness comes from. And it's a simple concept, but it's difficult to integrate because everything around us um, in modern society says that we have to tick certain boxes in order to feel worthy. So one of the ways that, that we can start to shift that form of thinking is say, I'm breathing, I'm present, and I exist the same creator that made the Grand Canyon, that made Niagara Falls, that made Mount Kilimanjaro made me. So I am on the same caliber of all of these wonders of the world, because we are all existing in the same place in the same time and are all created by the same creator. It's a sort of metaphysical approach um, to worthiness. But once you really get down to that core, it's very simple. And it helps us to establish a a form of self-worth that is not rooted in looks or title or accomplishment or money it's just very simply I am worthy because I am here
0: I love that so we're all we're all wonders of the world
3: yes and there's only one of us so
0: and we're created on purpose like we're created by design so um I love that um earlier on you mentioned um you know Motherhood, um, or like becoming a mother. When we spoke to some of our participants, um, uh, we, we, okay, sorry, let me start that again. When we spoke to some of our participants, they mentioned that there's not enough care in society in general for mothers or motherhood. Um, And especially during the pandemic, which um, I know the UK and US context is a little bit different, but Thinking about mothering in the more general term, like in a really broad sense, how do we we nurture ourselves and our sisterhood to ensure that we care in the most holistic and impactful way for elders and younger generations? So how do we build our own systems of care outside of what we can see?
3: I think traditionally we've done that. Across cultures, I think we have to reclaim. You know, I have a hashtag reclaiming the ways of our foremothers.
0: Yeah. We
3: have to look at what did our great-grandmothers do? What 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 did communities of the past do? There was a process where when a woman had a baby, the woman was actually nurtured more than the baby because she's more fragile. Because the birthing process, it's not just a baby being born, a mother is also being born and reborn every time she has a child. So I think leaning into those traditional and often ancient rituals of community care that we had previously, and the people who were providing the care for the mother, for example, they were other women. Who may have gone through the process of birth or women who were preparing to go through the process of birth at some point in their life. So it created an intergenerational um, exchange of care and nurturing. And this, this is also true when it comes to our elders and our young people. Motherhood can be a very lonely process. It can be a very lonely state because you are you are this child's entire world. You are the person that they depend on for their sustenance, for their nurturing, for their emotional attachment, but very rarely do mothers have a community of people who provide that same level of care for them. So I think creating, recreating those structures of old where you have people who are there to support the mother, who are there to provide care for the child. Um, the, the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to support a mother. And I think that it's important that we look at motherhood as not just an individual process, but a communal process of responsibility and ensuring that we are providing care not only for our children, but for those people who are bringing new children into the world.
0: Mm. I love what you said about, the communal care for mothering, because it, it also makes me think of um, mothers who haven't given birth. So, you know, whether it's aunties or, you know, the caregivers that we see mm-hmm. who, who aren't like mothers in the traditional sense, but are those nurturers and caregivers. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And
3: I, and I, and I do want to say that I think not all mothers are ones who have biologically given birth. And they should, these aunties and you know, cousins and sisters and best friends, women who have either chosen not to give birth or for wh- whatever reason are unable to give birth, they should also be honoured as mothers because this is also a part of our collective traditions across cultures as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely all part of the village. So thinking about care, what self-care rituals are important to you and why are rituals
3: important? I am a person who goes completely off the rails if I do not have a routine. I have, to ha- I have to have routine. I have tried to wing it. I have tried to just go without having a regimented way of doing certain things, and it has never um, done me a, a, a service. It's always been detrimental. Ritual is so important to me. I feel as if I am channeling the energy of women um, from my own lineage and women from the past when I engage in certain rituals. And I think that structure gives me a level of discipline that I otherwise would not have. I'm not a very disciplined person in general. So I think ritual is a way of keeping me in line, but also keeping me very connected. So self-care rituals for me are pretty, they're pretty simple. Um, One of which that I, you know, if anyone ever sees me on social media, you'll see I post all the time where I burn Bahur. Mm -hmm. And when I burn it, it's not just the burning of it to make the home smell nice. I'm usually burning something that I've created myself that was taught to me by my, you know, village aunties and grandmothers and women so it's also a way to embody that intergenerational transmission of culture. Uh, And I usually burn Bahur morning and evening. Um, That's a part of my self-care ritual. I also spend a lot of time in nature. I'm not an outdoorsy person. So I'm not a a, let's go for a hike, please. I will sit and wait at the base of the mountain (laughs) for you to get back down. But (laughs) I am... Sit in the park for several hours reading a book or just listening to the birds or doing FCAR kind of person. Uh, another self care ritual that I really enjoy is the act of bathing. Now I know that that is just a, a general hygienic practice that people should undertake, but you know, as a woman who spent 10 years either pregnant or nursing or caring for small children the ability to take a shower that is more than 3 minutes is a luxury that i now have now that my children are older so i go through a very elaborate process when i'm bathing and i know that when i'm in that space nobody's going to bother me i'm you know and I, I'm, I'm in there, I can do all of the, the, the beautification rituals that I want to, um, I can really take my time and it's a time of centering for me. It's also a time that I can really get connected to my body uh, as it grows and changes, as I enter into different life stages. So I think that those are the, those are the three things that I do on a consistent basis um, without which I would be a completely different person.
0: Mm. So earlier you mentioned, you know, aunties, grandmothers and in a really general, either in a really general sense or a specific way, like what have you learned about care from your elders?
3: I've learned to prioritize my self-care. I've learned to make it a priority while I can before I'm forced to do it. I have friendships with women who are my mother's age. So I think my oldest friend is 74. And, and she is in many ways like a mother to me, but she's also my friend. We can mm-hmm. talk about things that you talk to friends about. And sometimes she will lament the, the amount of time that she's spent pouring into others and not pouring into herself. <clears throat> because you can't really, you can't pour from an empty cup. And we, I think as women, we often focus so much on community care that we don't really give ourselves the care that we need. So I've learned from the elders in my life to slow down and secure my oxygen mask first. If <laughs> that means you know engaging in one of the self-care rituals or just thinking about you know how I expend my time and energy, I think that's the the most powerful lesson that I've learned and one that's helped me a lot, uh, not only in my work but just in my day to day life.
0: Why is or why should if you could just elaborate on this a bit more, like you mentioned self-care being a priority. Um, Why, why is it, why should it be a priority?
3: I think it should be a priority because we're, we're born alone and we die alone, right? we're, We're born into families, but you're born into families as an individual. And I don't, I don't like to focus heavily on individualism as a concept, but just from from a vantage point of well-being and and mental health, I think it's extremely important because sometimes we can deny the signs that our bodies are sending to us when we don't focus on self-care. Our bodies speak to us all the time but we can be so focused on tending to the needs of others that we don't listen to our bodies. And this is how we can fall into um, different health challenges, both physical and mental that could be avoided had we just taken the time to listen. So I think self-care is important because you are the only you that you have and no one is going to love you and care for you the way that you can for yourself. And what it does when you practice good, consistent, positive and healthy self-care it models to other people how they should deal with you it lets other people know what is okay so it it creates a very special boundary with the people in your life because they know that you love and you care for yourself and they have to do the same it is a way of teaching people how to treat you when you exhibit how you treat yourself in a way that is loving and healthy
0: mm. Mm, I love that, and I guess by extension it it is a form of community care because when you see say for for example, if I see another Muslim woman, a black woman, a brown woman caring for herself and loving herself in the most beautiful way, then I'm inspired to do the same because I see myself in her so yes there's there's like that sort of like you said that that role model, that modeling of and that connection of when you see yourself in someone and you see them treating themselves really well, then why should you not be doing the same? I love that. Exactly. Yeah.
3: You, give, you give a woman, when you stand in your glory, you give another woman permission to do the same.
0: Mm. And thinking about glory, I've got like one, well, yeah, one of my last, my last question is, um, so how do you celebrate yourself and those around you in everyday life?
3: How do I celebrate myself? This is something I struggle with. I, this is something where I, this is a deficiency for me. I'm not good at celebrating uh, my accomplishments. I'm not good at celebrating myself because I tend to be a person who derives a lot of joy from celebrating other people. So I like to spoil other people in my life and I don't I practice good self-care, but I'm not good at celebrating myself. But if I were good at it, I think one of the ways that I would do that is by making sure that I give myself a certain amount of alone time to recharge. I think that feels celebratory to me because so much of my work is focused on the community and engaging uh, with women. Um, so much of my home life is focused on my husband and my children. So it would feel um, very celebratory to carve out time for myself every day, so that I can recharge my batteries. And the way I, the way I celebrate you know, people in my day to day life is, I like to feed people. <laughs> I like to spend time uh, I like to listen you know give people give, give people a space to listen and I think that that's a celebration of the connections that I have uh, in my life and it's something that I try to do as much as I can.
0: So your homework now is to celebrate yourself.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From us. <laughs> I need that homework.
0: Angelica thank you so much it was so good to speak to you.
4: My name is Nadra Amini, and I live in Bradford. In my opinion, the immediate need for the community at the moment is that they need to go back into a routine, because constant lockdowns have put people out of routines and into uncertainty. So I believe it's important for the children to have a routine, and so also for the mothers and the whole family. When I teach or hold space for my uh, community members uh, online or in person, I always have to be cautious about the other person in which mindset or circumstances that person is. It could be they had a difficult day. For instance, with mothers, for instance, they are like burned out by the end of the day. And when they come to my sessions, I always welcome them with a smile, give them a joke. I think I really care for their smiles rather than for my smile. So I want to, at the end, I want my, uh, the participant to be going happy for my session. So this is what I try to do every time. And most of the time, I, the challenges I have is when I'm holding space for people is, um, I have to sacrifice my family time. Because as you understand, sometimes when women chat to each other or want to have some extra time talking, you have to give your 100% to be there and listening to the person's need. So I do have a challenge sometimes um, finding time for my own children, for my own family, and also other tasks, like my hobbies, which I would like to take on as well. Mostly even my friends nowadays, they say, you you are never available over the phone. But then I say to them, look, I am all constantly on the phone helping doing one-to-one support. Um, I really don't want to be on the phone longer. So yeah, that's one of the challenges to tell the immediate ones that the Next, you love your family members to say, look, um, sorry, I was not there when you needed me. Because that could be a challenge because I was too busy doing my professional work or helping others in the community. Yes, that's a big challenge. I feel guilty about it sometimes. For people who are in power and policy decision makers, um, I would suggest them they should care more for the um, mothers and housewives because these are the most one who are unrewarded because in the this, today's time and space, everybody's into um, jobs and status and high projects. And I believe these mothers are left behind. So all, everybody has to have a status or like myself, I'm a sports coach. It took me a quite long years to start to be a sports coach because I just decided to be there for my children first. So most of the time it's hard for the, the, the policy makers they don't value our women's. Generally speaking, even our, even the female coaches, we don't get the proper accreditation or proper platform to do. Say, look, I do need more money. I do need more time. You know, is anything you can support me with? So the care is also financial care, uh, uh, mental care, and also be just there to have a platform to raise your own um, worries. Because most of the time, I felt like I would like I would like to say something but it's no no platform where I can say and say to the policymakers to give the, the women an equal right, uh, especially when it comes to child care as well. So the moms look after the children and everything. And then on the weekends, they have nothing to do. Maybe they want to do work or some classes for them on the weekends. So there's always, they have to find the way out for their own care. So yeah, care is very important for me.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen to the next episode as we continue the conversation. To find out more about Muslim Girls Fence and our work, visit muslimgirlsfence.org and find us on Instagram at maslaha underscore UK and at British Fencing and on Twitter at maslaha and at British Fencing.